welcome. We're ready to dive into 2 John. We finished 1 John and we're ready to hear from the aged and very wise Pastor John as he gives a second letter. And um, this, this little letter, it's what, 13 verses long, not very long. It could fit on a single sheet of, of papyrus. Now, papyrus was a, was a plant, a reed, if you will, a, a, a weed or a reed that they would slice down the middle and lay out and, and, and dry it and they'd overlay it. And kind of like the kids do with the brown paper at Thanksgiving to make a mat. And then they'd soak it in water and then dry it under pressure. And it became kind of like a, like a standard eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And then they would take ink that was made from the soot of a fire and a, and a cut off reed. And they'd dip it in the soot and they'd write it on the papyrus. You could write all of Second John on one, one sheet of paper. It was not difficult at all. Um, our, our writer here is identified as the elder. So let me just read this, the 13 verses and then we'll, we'll get the setting for it and dive into what it has for us. It says, The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not, only I, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forevermore. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. Don't miss truth there four different times in those first three verses. It has given me great joy to find some of your children, this is the, the lady, the chosen lady's children, some of your children walking in truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send you their greetings. So who's the elder? Who's the one doing the writing? Most of of commentators back then and now presume it to be John, the same person who wrote First John. Um, a tradition definitely identifies him. All the extra biblical references that connect him connect him also to Second John. The elder, though, could mean just an older man. So it's possible that there's just a very learned older man who's writing to, to one of two people. It could refer to just the church. So sometimes the, the reference to a lady is an is a institutional reference that, that says, hey, I'm writing to the whole church. Much like a ship is called a, a, a she. You know, a, 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 a boat or a ship is called a she. Sometimes a church would be referred to as a lady. More likely, though, this is an actual woman. So he actually, that is John, has uh, someone he knows. And, and there are just too many personal references. Verse 5, verse 10, verse 13, uh, all, all suggest that this is a literal woman. From my perspective, I think this is our, 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 
our beloved older pastor writing to a woman and he's got some heavy things on his heart. He gets it done in a short, short letter, but nonetheless, they're really important. The occasion of the letter, why did he decide to write this to her? Well, during that time, they didn't have a pastor generally that stayed at one church. So the, 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 the uh, forward march of Christianity is happening all over the then known world, all over uh, por portions of, East, of what we would call um, Israel, uh, Syria, Jordan, all those areas, up into Turkey, then of course into Greece, and then on into Rome and, and around. So, so there were what we would call itinerant preachers, almost like during the early stages of our country, uh, except for in the very northeast, they had itinerant preachers. And they went from church to church to church to church, especially in the south. And the guy just had a donkey, and he got on his donkey, and he rode as far as he could. And people would gather together, whether they had an actual church building or not. He would preach a series of messages. They would pay him in chickens, usually, or whatever they had. And then he'd go on, on, his, on his merry way to the next place. Well, that was what was happening there, but, but these guys that were traveling were not all of the same quality. You can just imagine, you know, this guy's really good, this guy's not so good, this guy's been trained by somebody, this guy really, he's not even seen some of the books. There's no, there's no Bible. You know, there's no Bible in everybody's lap. There's, there's letters going around. So whoever the pastor is, if he hasn't even, or the preacher, he hasn't had his hands on that letter that went to Timothy or the letter that went to Titus or the letter that went to the Hebrews. If he hasn't even had them, tough to preach on them. And so you got a, a quality, uh, you know, difference of, of these guys. So they wrote a little, a little handbook. It was called the Didache, and the Didache was was, or it translated would be the teaching, and it was it was really an early church book about church order. This is how you ought to do it. So so John is is wanting to make certain that this woman who's opening her home to some of these itinerant preachers that that she takes notes of of how to do it. Let me just read from my notes. It says let every apostle that comes to you be received as the Lord and he shall stay one day and if need be the next also. But if he stays 3 days, hey, he's a false prophet. Now why why would the teaching say that? What do you what do you think? He can stay one, maybe two, but third, third, he's false prophet. Because he's just there for a free meal. He's just hanging out. He's on vacation. He just goes from place to place. He's not there by a call, a spiritual dimension. He's just hanging out. And so the teaching says, okay, keep him a couple of days. After that, boom. And when the apostle goes forth, let him take nothing but, you know, a little bread till he reaches lodging. But if he asks for money, mm -mm, mm -mm, he shouldn't be asking for money. He's a false prophet. Um, but not everyone that speaketh in the Spirit is a prophet. But uh, if he has the manners of the Lord, okay. By their manners, therefore, shall the prophet and the false prophet be known. So, so John's just trying to say, hey, lady, there are some rules. Uh, essentially, he's saying to her, make sure that your, your spiritual hospitality has limits. He's not saying don't invite people to your home. He's saying these itinerant preachers who come have a discerning spirit as to whether they're worthy to be listened to. Just because they name the name of Christ doesn't mean that they couldn't be a, a, a snake in, you know, uh, in sheep's clothing.
uh, somebody just out on a vacation, somebody enjoying the, the accolades of being a man of God. So he said, make sure and test them. Make sure, make sure you know what you're doing when you invite these people into your home. Remember, they didn't have church buildings for the most part. They went into someone's home, usually someone that had some money, so that the house was, was large enough for people to gather. Now, there is a heresy at this same time, and we've talked about this before. It's the Gnostics. And I just mentioned it today to say the Gnostics believed that, that the soul was trapped in a, in a body. So everything having to do with the soul was good. Anything having to do with the body was bad. Uh, immaterial was good. Matter was bad. And, and, and one, of the, one of the things that the New Testament writers spoke against regularly was that idea because they were, dis, they were dismissing Christ because he came, that is the Son of God, came into the flesh and, and dwelt among us, John would say. So the issue here is, you know, is it possible that we can get wisdom? Is it possible to know wisdom. And the Gnostics would say, oh, I don't know if you're in the flesh, not really. Pilate asked kind of the same question. Remember when he was trying to decide whether or not to allow Christ to be crucified, he asked the question, what is truth? And, 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 and in answer to that, in John chapter 14, verse number six, what does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So while Pilate's going, eh, I don't know if I know what truth is, Jesus is saying, it's really easy, it's me. So we have the role of truth now showing up in 2 John. Um, and, and I mentioned that when I read the book uh, to you just a moment ago, there are four references to truth just in the first three verses. Now truth is a very interesting thing in our culture. We, we, don't, we don't talk about truth. We talk about your truth and my truth. This may be true for you. It's not true for me. That's how our culture engages it. We, we see truth as relative. It's relative to my thinking. It's relative to my traditions. It's relative to my family. It might be relative to my sin. You know, my truth shifts as I engage sin, but it's my truth. And you might engage and respond if you are, you know, 21 years of age or older to, to maybe 40, uh, late 30s or 40s. You might engage and say, well, but I have truth. So it's my truth against your truth. Very relative, very oriented to me. What I think, that's what goes. Well, unfortunately, that is definitely not what God's Word wants us to understand. There is truth. And we might even put the article, the. There is the truth. When you and I talk about God and the gospel and what, what ought to be known, we hold this book up and we say, truth. Now, granted, there are interpretations. Granted, there are understandings that might vary. We can think of a number of biblical topics that are not laid out absolutely crystal clear in God's Word. And so you might have a view and I might have a view. You know, just the other day we had the, the what was the, the topic that we were talking about, um, where we had two different views. Oh, Arminianism uh, and, and, and uh, you know, whether or not, uh, what was the, it was in last week's lesson. Sherry's got a blank head. Uh, whether you can, what's that? 
Your Losing your salvation. Thank you. That's helpful. Um, the Arminian versus uh, a more Calvinistic position. But the point being, can you lose your salvation? You know, there are very smart, godly men and women who for centuries have taken position A and an equal number of smart, godly people who have taken position B. Okay, so, so they're not saying it's my truth versus your truth. They're saying this is what we think the truth is. So it's an interpretation. I get it. There are some of those that are just not crystal clear. But some things are crystal clear. And who Jesus Christ is and his claims on our lives is one of those that is crystal clear. It is the truth. It started way back in the Garden of Eden. In fact, I want you to turn there. Uh, go back to, to Genesis chapter 2 just for a second. Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> this business about sorting out the truth. In, uh, I said 2, I really mean 3. Genesis chapter 3. So, um, we're going to have a little encounter with, with uh, the serpent. Chapter 3, verse number 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then the woman says to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat free fruit from that is, that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That is the first time we see in our Bible this, this competing thought between your truth, my truth, and the truth. The, he, he's, he, has God said, oh, come on. Really? I mean, if you, if you talk to enough people about your own walk with the Lord, you're going to hear somebody with that whiny little condescending tone of voice say to you, do you really believe? Did God really say... And what you need to do is, is perk up, sit up, big old look on your face and say, yes, that's exactly what I believe. Because it is truth. It is the truth. It's not your truth. It's not my truth. It's the truth. It's a big deal to John to understand and teach this business of truth. And truth is connected to love. It, it, and in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, we speak the truth in love. We're not supposed to be rude. We're not supposed to be in someone's face, unkind, not, not, not pleasant or thoughtful or courteous, but nonetheless speaking the truth. We don't, we don't, we don't back away from the truth. We package it in a, in a kind and gracious manner. If you're having a conversation about, about something about God's word, you want to do it with kindness, but you don't want to do the, well, I can understand if you don't believe that way. No. I mean, we're going to be kind about, I understand not everyone sees it that way, but may I suggest that you get into God's Word and see what the truth of God's Word actually says. It's not me, it's here. That's why we are so blessed to have God's Word. These people that John's writing to, they don't have. They have a few parchments running around, and they don't even get to keep them. They don't get to take them home and study them. You and I have book after book after book after book, version after version after version, available to us to pick up, put in our lap, and ask ourselves, what is truth? Here it is. Um, 
I put a little quote in there for you out of the Expositor's Bible. It says this, The linking of truth and love is of great importance because John's readers are in the truth. They know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Father's Son. They are also recipients of God's love as it is known and manifested in their community of faith. And the love that's received by the community comes from all who know the truth. The community of love is encompassing as the truth that is uh, believed and lived. The author here, John, John is speaking in clear contrast to the heretics. They do not have the truth, nor do they know what it means to be in a community of love. And that is still for us true today. Out there, your neighbors, your family members that are going to gather next week, many of them do not understand because they're not in a community of faith and they don't have the preaching of God's word that truth does stand on its own. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes truth is in our face. Sometimes we are confronted with it personally, and other times it comes up in conversation. And again, graciousness rules. Love rules. We're not going after Uncle Fred at the Thanksgiving table. We're just not. But on the side, out in the backyard, when there's a little moment, yes, we hold truth. So John's going to go on now in verse number 7 and talk a little bit about some deceivers. Now he's warning her... Again, you can have him there two days, but if he wants to stay three or he asks for money, he doesn't just ask for bread. Hey, he might be one of these deceivers or another way of, of translating that word deceiver is he might be another antichrist. Some of your Bibles might might translate it that if you're a Bible student, you know that that term antichrist applies to Satan. And normally it comes up in a context of end times. So when we get into the book of Revelation, we start talking about the, the antichrist, capital A, capital T. On the, that's who we're talking about, Satan. But the term is often used for anyone who runs around spreading not truth. So he's saying, hey, there's a little warning here. And we, we saw that in, in 1 John. Remember in, in chapter 2 uh, in 1 John, where he's talking about, you know, they, they went out from us, 2.19. They went out from us. They did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. We have people running around who don't actually believe truth. And, and, and we would call them antichrist, small a. Um, click on the television set. The other night I was bored out of my mind and I was going through the TV guide. Oh, what a hundred and some odd channels and you can't find anything to watch. And so I, I, I was just doing the going from one channel to the next channel to the next channel kind of thing. And this guy came on preaching. And I went, no. And I clicked on buy a few more. I went, no. And clicked on buy a few more. And I hollered, no. And Barb's hollering, what are, you, what are you arguing with? I'm arguing with the preachers on TV. It is, it is not hard to run into people who have their own agenda and they're preaching or teaching things that are not here. And, and it wouldn't take much work to be able to, to, to prove that. So there are some antichrist and he's giving her a warning about them. And, and just to remind you that Satan's also called some other things, the man of sin, the beast, and, and I love the one in Daniel, the contemptible person. But he's warning her in, in verses 7 through 11. Hey, watch out, verse 8 says, that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may, may be rewarded fully. Watch out. Be careful. Don't let someone come alongside. Um... There was, uh, there was something on TV not too long ago 
uh, excuse me, it's not TV, it was on social media somewhere, uh, a bunch of series of interviews of people that were coming out of Mormonism. And it was fascinating to me to see how they had been deceived. Um, what a wonderful thing it was that somewhere in their life someone came along with God's word and a kind and a gracious heart and began to share with them here's truth and after a period of time they were able to to get themselves out of that uh, out of that cult um, that would be true of any other deceptive uh, group that wanted to move us away we need to be watching uh, don't lose what you've worked for don't allow someone to come in. When someone gives you every, every, let me pause here and say, every time you go to church, every time you go to Bible study, every time you have a conversation with someone about spiritual things, you should ask yourself, is that in God's Word? Is Sherry, is, was, was she in the book? Was that, but was that Pat? I want to I look for myself. He said it, he said it was here. I want to I go look. I put all these verses in your notes, not just because I have fun typing them, <laughs> but there's my hope that at some point you sit down during the week and take those notes and go, I just want to see. Let's see if Cherry really, is that really in the book? And you should be able to come away going, yep, yep, it's in the book. That's in the book. Truth. Now the specific warning that he's, he's giving this woman is in verse 7. Back up one. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So there are those who just plain do not confess that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's come in the flesh. And, and, and he says to us in 1 John, you can just glance over the, the other side of the page, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. This is how you know whether they're true or not. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Or uh, that, excuse me, let me back up. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. And, and he is messaging our young people everywhere. He's messaging couples, marriages, life, uh, just single lives. He is he's out to destroy. He wants he wants to have arguments and, and endless hassles going on around us. So we'll weary and go, I don't know, how can you know? You can know. It just takes a little work. You can know. In uh, Titus chapter 3, turn with me back just a couple of books. Paul tells the young preacher Titus a very important little piece of information in chapter 3, looking at verses 9 and following. He says, Titus, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. You warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. He's giving you a little, a little template for Thanksgiving. Avoid foolish controversies. I don't care if Mr. Trump's name comes up to the dinner table. We're not discussing it. No, we're, we're not into foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels. No, we're not doing that. But if you want to talk about my Lord, love to. Want to talk about what I heard about in Bible study last week? Happy to. Want, want me to show you some of my favorite verses? Love it. And how can I love you on you while you're here in my home? But he's saying, you know, don't, <coughs> don't have... 
don't have, uh, you know, lengthy conversations and long arguments with people that are going nowhere. It's useless. Now, the broader injunction, though, the specific one he gives this woman is to watch out for these deceivers that may be coming around in, you know, in sheep's clothing. He, the, broader, the broader injunction is the part that starts in verse 9. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in, and you could underline this, the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in, here it is, the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. So what is this teaching? What, what is he talking about? Well, I want you to turn to Colossians because this is the, the best example of it in your Bible. And this is worthy of some study this afternoon. But it's called the Christ hymn in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we'll pick it up in about verse 15. Colossians 1.15. Excuse me one second here. One fifteen, He, meaning Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Now, just stop right there. From a from a doctrinal standpoint, what is what is Paul the revealed to the Colossians? That Jesus Christ is the creator. The earth was created, and it was created by him, and he is in control of everything that he has created. Verse seventeen. We're going to go on. But he, still Christ, is before all things. Ooh, came before all the creation, okay? He's not a created being then. And in him all things hold together. Wow. In the person of Jesus, all things hold together. I often think about that from, from a standpoint of gravity. If there were no gravity, what would, what would life be like? There would be no life. So even in that, he holds all things together. Going on, verse 13, again, Paul's just giving us a, a, a Christ hymn, a Christology, a, a Christological view of some doctrine. He is the head of the body. What's the body? The church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Wow. He's the firstborn, meaning there's going to be more that rise from the dead. That would be me. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy He's not like any other angel. He's not like any other created being. We're getting some good doctrine here. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all His, that is God the Father's, fullness dwell in Him. Oh, there's a relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Wow! Now we have a whole discussion here of, of salvation based on the shedding of his blood. My point being is that there is a, there is a section right there, and there are others, that, that speak truth, or, or we might use the word orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is anything that conforms to the faith as it was originally represented in things like, like creeds. So in the early church, since they didn't have the book of Colossians, they would develop a song or a creed. And maybe 15 to, to, to 20 would be memorized. And so when they got together, 
together, someone would say, the supremacy of Christ. And the rest of us would chime in and say this creed. Because we didn't have one of these. We couldn't go, oh, where is that in class? Oh, I got it. We didn't have that. But to make sure we stayed focused on the doctrine of Christ, we would memorize it in a creed form, sometimes in a hymn form. So, so one of the very first creeds was done in about 325 A.D., and it's called the Nicene Creed. And depending on if you were raised in some other uh, church, which was a little more formal than many of our evangelical churches, they would recite either the, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Nicene Creed, we think, came first, and then we think the Apostles' Creed. But look at, look at the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Boom. We believe in one God. We don't, we don't have 12. We don't have 5,000. We don't have him under every rock. We already have a major doctrinal statement right there in the first phrase. We believe in one God. Again, without the word of God, how do you get people to understand truth? You maybe memorize a creed. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. Well, there goes the Mormons. Eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made. Oh, he was not a created being. Uh, in being with the Father, for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he was born of the Virgin Mary. Doctrinal position. <coughs> The Holy Spirit was the, the, the power that created the, the birth of the child with the Virgin Mary, and he became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, a historical event. It really did happen. This guy was in charge. He suffered and died, and he was buried. On the third day he rose again. Oh, the resurrection is in here, in the fulfillment of the scriptures, and so on. It goes down, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets, we believe in one, holy, Catholic just meaning uh, predominant out there, uh, apostolic church. We acknowledge one, baptism, for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. All of that is just simply the doctrine of Christ. It's a way to get all that stuff transferred to somebody when you don't have the scripture to refer to. That's a wonderful thing to memorize as a family. Because it's got everything we believe. Now if that one's a little whatever long for you, look at the Apostles' Creed. We're looking for a little shorter. Okay, we'll go shorter. I know you guys. So the Apostles' Creed, likely written after the Nicene one. And, and the first time we, show, we see it showing up is in about 390 in a letter. So it's about that same period. Here it goes. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Okay, great. We got a lot of stuff in there. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, praise the Lord, uh, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. You, I believe in the Holy Spirits. That might be a typo. I'm going to have to check that. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. That is a lovely thing to sit around at dinner and, re and recite with your children. Because what it does is it grabs all the doctrines that you, you might want to pass on to your kids. This is truth. You with me? 
Okay, so then I picked out from some material that I found. It was developed by the um, CARM, C-A-R-M. It's the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. It just had a whole list. And I put verses next to it. No excuses, guys. I gave you the crib sheet. So here it is, the, de the de deity of Christ. So a conversation at dinner or out to dinner with your husband, or with a girlfriend over a cup of coffee. Do you believe in the deity of Christ? Is Christ really God? Well, let's talk about 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You want to talk about salvation by grace? Ephesians 2, 8 9. Want to talk about the resurrection? The, the, that it was a physical resurrection. He really did rise from the dead. There you, there's your verse. That there is good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you say to your kids tonight, hey, do you know what the, go the gospel is? They should be able to answer you. Now, in kids' voices and in kids' vocabulary, you know, they should be able to say, it's the story that Jesus came to save us. I love it. I love it. That's enough. It could get more specific as they get older. Um... Monotheism, that, that there is only one God. The inerrancy of scriptures. That the original writing of the scriptures were without error. Now, what I have in my hand is translated and been passed down. I'm not saying I can't find some inconsistencies from the Dead Sea Scrolls to the translation. Very, very few, by the way. But I can find a couple. But not in the original autographs. There are no errors. God did it specifically without error. And that's a great conversation. Because your kids need to know there's something they can rely on. It doesn't change. Um, doesn't matter what church you go to. Okay, so then you could go on through. I, I listed the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the sinless life, uh, substitutionary death, the effectiveness of that death, the bodily resurrection, the ascension, of course, and the literal future return of Christ to the earth. That one right there is a great conversation with an unsaved person. I was just wondering, do you believe that Christ is going to return to the earth? What a fun conversation. <laughs> Come on. If you have a loving relationship with someone, I'm not talking about pull a pin on a hand grenade and roll it down the table and get a boom. You know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about talking about something that matters. Who cares who won the Academy Award? I don't really care. Now, who won the football game last night? That's a different story. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's fine to have interest in things that we that we talk about and that we enjoy together. I, of course, we do. But at some point, and in some ways, I really enjoy somebody looking at me and saying, man, I can't believe that Jesus died for me. Wow. What a, what a cup of tea that is. Because then I get to look back and say, me too. Wow. What comfort, encouragement, support. So here's my so what on this. In order to avoid all of the modern deceivers that, that John's worried about that, that, that's going to bother this woman in 2 John, you and I must be able to identify what I'm calling the fundamentals of the faith. We need to be able to assert our allegiance to them and share them when appropriate with clarity with others. So I, I, I started our time together off camera in a, in a little bit of a Bible quiz that I found. Uh, and it's called the Bible Literacy Quiz. It's by the Bible.org folks. Really good stuff. They have two versions of it. One where they ask the question and the answer's right there. Don't use that one. Uh, <laughs> then they have one where they have just the questions and then you can look the answers up on another page. 
Give yourself the literary test. It's a hundred. It's a hundred questions. So sit down this afternoon, nice little cup of tea, and 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 take the quiz. Sit your husband down, honey. Let's go out for dinner. I got a quiz for us, and go through it, and and then discuss it. Why didn't you know that? Why was that one fuzzy to you? And then then the list I gave you here in your notes. Are any of those fuzzy? Are you you fuzzy on any of them? Okay. Let's have a conversation, you and me, if you're, if you're fuzzy on it. Or, or someone else. And then have some meaningful conversations with your loved ones. Um, my brother and sister-in-law are coming to town, both of whom love the Lord. I cannot wait to have a conversation sitting around my dining room table, sipping on my sixth cup of coffee, and discussing some aspect of their relationship with the Lord in mind. There is nothing more energizing and exciting than to have those kinds of conversations. And what happens with people that you love, you'll talk about football for a minute and then it'll go to Jesus. And then you'll talk about a movie you saw and then it'll go to Jesus. And then you'll show some picture of your kids and then you'll go back to Jesus. It's just the natural way our lives are intertwined. That's a good thing. Let me pray for you. Father, we're all uh, anxious to have time with loved ones uh, near and far uh, next week. And, and I'm praying that we'll take the, the message that our Pastor John has been giving us, just like the elder woman, to heart. That we'll be sensitive to those that w might want to be a deceiver in our lives. Not obnoxious, not hitting people back meanly, but being able to know what we believe and why. Being able to, to look some of these verses up and put them in our back pocket and have them ready. I believe that Jesus was the creator. Colossians chapter 1. I, I believe that he told the truth. Such and such and so and so. I believe that he resurrected on the third day. Such and such and so and so. Father, help us to be prepared to have meaningful conversations. Because in the end, when it's all said and done and we stand before your throne, we're, we're going to look back and go, man, I missed some opportunities. And we need to know what we ought to talk about. So help us to be students of the doctrine of Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thanks for coming. It would not have been any fun without you. Comments.